So this morning, as we go back, uh, we're actually backing up in the book of Acts to the closing verses of chapter 14. And I'm asking the question this morning, how much do you trust God? Now, one of the things that uh, I will do as working as life coach or career coach, I will ask people to quantify their commitment. I will say on a scale of one to 10, with one being, I'm not going to do it, and 10, I will do it or die trying. On a scale of one to 10, how committed are you to accomplishing this goal? And I, I ask people to think about it. I don't want to hear 10 because that's not very often. <laughs> I mean, in reality, in life's goals, we're really committed until we hit problems. <laughs> and then it's like, we don't know what all's life. And so I really want people to think through. And so this morning, as I asked that question on a scale of one to 10, with one, I don't trust God at all, to 10, I trust him absolute, complete, unwavering. How much do you truly trust God? Now, if you're like me, you're probably sitting there saying, that's a painful statement. That really hurts because actions really speak louder than words. How much do our actions really show how much we honestly, deep down, trust God? Like John and Amanda went through, Carolyn and I went through similar times where we were praying about um, the next move. We were on the field where we had uh, seven months of nothing, praying for God and God not answering but it was those seven months that we fall back onto. We prayed for seven months before he gave the answer. And when we saw no results, it was the seven months of prayer that we relied on. Um, unlike John and Amanda, when we first applied with the mission board, we were rejected. <laughs> um, that makes you feel really good. <laughs> we really were. Um, that was one of those fun times in life where you feel the call and the church you've been a part of all your life that you have planned your whole life to develop and go with, say, nah, we really don't want you. <laughs> uh, those are really tough times of trusting God. But this morning, as we go back, and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, this is the message that would have fallen two weeks ago when Pastor John Janos from our mother church was speaking. And I thought John would pick up with this last week. Last week, Pastor John talked about the unity through the diversity and the culture, how we bring so much different gifts. Again, I wasn't here last week because the, the flu, if you miss that sermon... Um, you know what I'm going to say? Go back, catch that message. It's online. <laughs> it's there. It's in multiple places. Uh, 
to, to go back and listen to that message because Pastor John shared something very, very important for us for coming from multiple cultures, how God uses those cultures to bring us together into his body. And we see good examples and we see bad examples both in last week's message in the early church. So please, if you didn't catch last week's message, please go back and catch that one. For as a church, we have a very uh, a, um, a strong message for us. As a missiologist or someone, my master's is in missiology, the closing chapters of or the closing verses of chapter 14 gives us great direction as missions and mission work. So let's go back. We're going to pick up uh, Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 19. I'm actually going to overlap with part of what Pastor John had read three weeks ago. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel into, to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia. I actually practiced that one. P.S. is Pisidia. And came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken in Perga, they went on to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Heavenly Father, together we have read your word. Now, we ask that you speak to us and guide us, both individually and united, as your church, the manifestation of your body here in this city. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, looking back, I'm actually asking you to go back three weeks Thinking about how Pastor John had preached on Paul getting stoned, dragging, they, they drug him out of the city, they dumped his body, thinking he's dead. He gets up and goes back to the city. He walks right back into the same city. And that is where, and John was stressing how we need to do that. That's something, there's times, it doesn't matter what we go through, we got to go right back into the city no matter what. Uh, and that's where Pastor John had really ended that message. Uh, we pick up in verse 20. Uh, this, I want to continue on with past what Pastor John was sharing. And on the next day, he, being Paul, went on with Barnabas to Derby. He 
passed, he went back into the city. Then the next day, they head out. They're continuing the mission. The day before, the guy was stoned to the point they think he's dead. They dump his body. He gets up, and he's traveling the next day. Yeah, uh, Amanda's shaking her head. Think about that. What does getting stoned feel like? Can you imagine what it would feel like that somebody throws rocks at you to the point you are unconscious and they think you are dead? And he's traveling. He and Barnabas, they, they said, we're going to go on to the next city. He didn't say, I'm going back home. He said, I'm going to the next city. Come on, guys, let's get going. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm sure he probably wasn't quite that enthusiastic. But they go on to the next city, and what do they do? When they went on to Derby, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they didn't stop. They kept going, and God is using them. God is speaking through them. God is calling people to himself through their work. And more disciples are being made. And they're there and they're proclaiming the gospel. And people are repenting of their sin and they are turning to Jesus Christ. And they were there for how long? We really don't know. It doesn't say. Scholars debate how long the first missionary journey was anywhere from as short as a year to a year and a half to maybe even three years that's debated. Uh, most will say between a year, year and a half. They weren't there a long time. They were not there a long time, but God had really worked in a mighty way and many people turned to Jesus Christ. There were a bunch of them. And then where do they go? You remember that city, Lystra, where he just got stoned and they dumped his body? He walks right back into the city again. <laughs> he did it on day one after being stoned. He goes back into the same city. But he's on mission. He is going back to strengthen the disciples he goes back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He is retracing his steps where he had been, where he had been preaching the gospel, where people had been turning to Jesus Christ, and he's helping those churches get established, get a firm foothold in each place. And he is encouraging them to continue in the faith. This is the encouragement, guys. Here's the pep talk. Through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. That's the pep talk. That's the encouragement. That's the strengthening. Paul didn't mix words. He said, dudes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to go through a lot of tribulations. You're going to go through a lot of troubles. You're going to go through a lot of heartaches. Some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to die. 
And that's the pep talk. It's one of the things that just irks me to no end. America has really done this thing of almost every gospel track starts with like, do you want to go to heaven? If so, say these magic words. Um, I get so tired of that. Paul didn't go into a, into a, a city and start proclaiming, do you want to go to heaven? No, he went in, do you want to have a life that's worth suffering for? Do you want to know a Savior that he's worthy of your suffering? Do you want to know a life that's worthy of tribulation? And that is the message he preached. You are enslaved to sin. He will set you free. But that freedom is going to cost you as you commit your life to follow him. But he's worth it. He's worthy. It's not about even this heaven worth the wait. It's God is worthy. I've always wished I was a, a cartoonist. Uh, uh, you may re relate to this as, as you draw that. I've always wanted to do this cartoon where a church member and an evangelist shows up at heaven and it has the gates closed and it has a reserved sign on it. It says, reserved for Jesus and his disciples. The church member looks over at the evangelist and says, hey, you didn't say anything about discipleship. <laughs> you know? Heaven is the reward for Jesus' disciples, for his faithful servants, those who committed their life and trusted their life and they followed him. It's not the result of magic words or magic prayers. It's about a life that trusts and obeys Jesus Christ. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. That is why I came down into this, this faith in your trust. How much do you trust God? Do you trust him all the way through? Do you trust him through the tribulations? And then in verse 23, there's an often overlooked verse. First half of that verse, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. They had actually established new places, new churches, but there wasn't established leadership yet. They were waiting to see who are these people, and they went back through establishing and finding out who was faithful and who God was calling to be leaders of those new churches that were being started. Remember, Christianity, it's brand new. They're not building on anything. They have nothing. These are brand new converts. And he's going back and they're appointing elders in every church. So who's the pastor? Oh, see, uh, the word pastor doesn't really occur in the book of Acts because it deals primarily with going through the Greek towns. Um, you're going to see later in the book of Acts, as Paul calls all the elders of the church of Ephesus to him, and he's instructing them to shepherd the flock 
as overseers. It's using elder, the word pastor or shepherd, and overseer, or is often translated bishop, especially in the older English translations, synonymously, or I wouldn't say synonymously, much more the different aspects of the same role. So we don't see the term pastor used a lot in the church, in the church leadership. It was more, elder was a more common word, but they're both used. We use the term pastor. It's the same role in the church, but a different aspect. Um, You'll see in Peter, as Peter was writing to the churches, First uh, Peter chapter five, verse one and two, he exhorts the elders as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock or pastor the church as an overseer. And word was used for bishop. That same passage or that same, you see Peter using all three of the words together to explain the role. So when they had appointed elders in every church with much prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. They committed them to the Lord. Now, I want to read that from my favorite translation. (laughs) Most of you know that uh, uh, the ESV is not my favorite translation. We had agreed to use it simply because there's more free um, um, resources available to the church. Pastor John often goes back and uses NIV. I will jump in and use the New American Standard, and that's what I want to quote from uh, in this translation. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What does the word in trust mean? To bestow. What does that really mean for us? I'm agreeing with you, by the way. I'm taking it a step further. For us as Christians to entrust someone to the Lord. Giving them into the protection of. Stop worrying about. Why do we not worry about them? Because we gave them to the Lord. Who are we trusting in? It comes back to our trust in the Lord. One of the most painful things that we've seen, uh, not just in here in Hungary, but in the U.S. too, when somebody seems to be on the road following God and they turn back. It will happen. It, it happens all the time. And Time after time, Carolyn and I have had to stop and look at each other and say, they're not our kids. They're God's children. We can't make the decisions for them. And we've seen families that have been broken up because 
Someone decided to take the wrong path. But we still trust that God's working in their life. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know if they're coming back. We don't know if they were actually lost and never really trusted God. But we commit them. The word bestow, to commit, to give them to God. Don't worry about them. The different definitions that we had of what it means to entrust, we are trusting God to work in their lives. And that is what Paul is doing. He is saying, God, these are your children and I trust you to work in their lives. Do you think that was easy for the Apostle Paul? I love that I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking no. No. Uh, He was human, I see that. I was wondering, what difference does it really make if you're human or not? (laughs) Yeah, because he had human love. He, He, as a human being, sometimes it's hard to trust. Sometimes it's hard to give something to God. I want to go back, I'm going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul gives a list of what all that he went through when in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you're looking for it, um, these, quote, super apostles claiming to be great men of God came in and really began to tear up the church. They were destroying. They said, ah, oh, who's Paul? Paul's nothing. He, he, they're bragging about how great they are in God. And Paul's saying, well, if they've got a right to boast, let me tell you about what God's done through me. What's happened? He even says he calls, he talks like a madman, like he's crazy at all this. Yeah, Paul, you're crazy because listen to what he's comparing his life to all of these other servants of Christ who claim to be better. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from the rivers and dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Did you just listen to that list? He is traveling 2,000 years ago when they didn't have bridges over the rivers. They didn't have all the nice fancy stuff. Now, the Romans were really great at building bridges and roads and highways and infrastructure. But there were times where they just faced the wilderness alone, crossing the wilderness to proclaim the gospel in places. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. 
He actually spent a night and a day floating out at sea. All of this is going on. He has physically suffered for Jesus Christ on mission for the Lord. But then he says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He said, that, that, besides all that stuff, it's my daily concern for the churches that really hits me hard. So when Paul entrusted them to the Lord in whom they have believed, it was not an easy thing for him to walk out and leave those churches behind saying, God, they're your kids, you take care of them. Now, I want to share a little bit of a testimony with you. The greatest, greatest compliment I ever received in my whole life, some of you have heard this story. My wife's heard it so many times she's sick of it. It was not a single word. But when I was at uh, uh, Advanced Individual Training at Fort Lee, Virginia, a number of the soldiers were out on pass, and one of the guys suddenly died. He went into convulsions and dropped dead. And for many of the, the soldiers there, they we're talking 17, 18-year-old kids, they had never really faced death. They hadn't seen it. And so they had called them all back after the death, and the, the, many of the guys are wandering around, I can't believe it. He's dead. He's dead. He's died. Of course, the company commander comes in and he's up with the soldiers. The chaplain is downstairs. Our platoon is upstairs. He's in our platoon area. And the captain looked at me. He said, Miller, you got it up here? Yes, sir, I do. And he turned around, and he walked off. To this day, that is the greatest compliment I have ever received in my life. When a company commander trusted me to care for his soldiers. The greatest compliment that I think Jesus ever paid, paid to his disciples was the ascension. And he said, guys, you got it. No, God, we can't do that. Is this the time? Don't worry. You got this. I'll see you later. <laughs> and, and he floats off into space. But he did send help. This is true. Because of his trust, Jesus' trust in the Father. To this day, the memory of Captain turning around, and walking out of that room is the greatest compliment I've ever received in my life. Because he entrusted me with his men. When Paul entrusted these believers, new believers, many of them may be just weeks old as believers, he said, I trust God to work in you and through you.
and he left. And he went back home. It wasn't easy for him to do. He cared about those believers. They weighed on his heart every day. It was to the point, he said, in anxiety that it was just so hard of that prayer. I believe that's part of what kept him praying for the churches. That he walked off and he left them. And then they passed through Pisidia. They came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed on to Antioch. Now, we've already seen one Antioch in this story. We're seeing the other Antioch, Antioch of Syria. That's where they had started. That is where the place where um, God had said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. But look, verse 26 of chapter 14. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Again, looking at that from my favorite translation. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. It was a cycle of trust. The church believed God was going to work through these men. They prayed for them. They laid hands on them. In prayer with fasting, they say, we trust God to work through you. And they set out. And at the end of the trip, as they're coming back home, we see those men with prayer and fasting coming back to God saying, we trust God. To work through you. You realize when they did that, Paul was turning his back and trusting God through some of the things that were most important to him the churches of the living God, those local bodies, the local manifestation of the body of Christ, the local manifestation where it's lived out in flesh. God's hands, God's feet, God's mouthpieces in that family of God sharing his word. It's one of the most important things in Paul's life. He trusted God to take care of it as they had been entrusted to carry out their work. It's not about what man can do. It's trusting God to do what he said he will do. And they come back home. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, I do need to throw in one other little piece of commentary here. (laughs) Why did they have to gather the church? Couldn't they just wait? Till Sunday morning? And for many years, I hadn't really thought about that one until I realized this is actually one of the places where we get a little glimpse in Scripture of what historians tell us. 
historians will tell us, especially church historians, talking about the citywide churches, there wasn't a meeting place where the whole church could gather. So they would meet in homes and there would be one congregation, but often meeting in multiple places. You would have the church of the city, which would be citywide, all the believers, but they may meet in different homes in different places. And so as they came back, when they wanted to report what God had done, they had to call everybody together. We need to gather everyone together and report all at one time how God had opened up the door of faith to the Gentiles and the work that God was doing among the nations. So it's one of those places where we see that God was working in that first century, part of how he was working in the church. It's a small glimpse of that historical event. Uh, You all know we're out of space here. I don't know how many people we have traveling. Amanda, you might have an idea, but we have 10, we got probably 10, 15 people traveling that are regular plus others. And we've got almost every chair, chair full. We're out of space. We're praying about what to do next. We don't know. We're saying, let's creatively pray about it. Let's see what God leads. We don't know. Maybe God's leading us to do citywide. Maybe he's going to do this. Maybe he's opening up. We've got another church that wants to partner with us and share a facility. We've got a lot of different things. And so we get a little glimpse of how God does things, and he did things in the first church very different than how we do them today. And so as we're praying, yes, this is a call to prayer about the situation. We also need to be praying that God will open our our eyes to what he's doing and the will that he has. Now, we have a church in Budapest, very good friends of ours that helped start a church. They're doing churches inside churches. Uh, Hadn't come across that one before. Uh, But not cell churches where there's cells, but really independent churches within one giant church. They want to go citywide, Budapest-wide. And before the mother church here agreed to sponsor us, I was talking with them, would they sponsor us, be our mother church, that we would go nationwide here in Hungary was one of the things. Is that what we need to do? We don't know. What we do know is God's working again in different ways. And we need to trust him as a church to guide us in these uncertain times for us, as we're out of space, I might throw it out there too, we're out of money too. We're, we're, uh, we're being supported by other churches and we're, we're running out of the funds. So we're depending on God to make the move. We as a church body, we must trust him for our future. And we must be open to whatever he leads us to do. We have the idea that he's leading us to another facility. But I don't know. That isn't for sure. Please, 
join us 9.30 every Sunday morning as this is one of the regular weekly prayer topics as we're praying through this as a church body. God, what's the next step for us? So this morning, it is a challenge. How much do you trust God individually in your life? But it's also a challenge for us. How much do we trust God collectively as his body to show us the future? And right now, we don't see it. We don't know what's going to happen. Which takes me to the call of action. Oh, I forgot. I didn't close out the last uh, verse. And they remained there no little time with the disciples. Um, in other words, my favorite translation, they spent a long time. <laughs> they actually came back. They spent a long time there. They were tired. It was a hard year. Poor Paul probably had to recuperate and heal. We don't know. It was a rough, rough year. And so they spent some time recuperating there with their home church, with that mother church, to be able to prepare for the next phase of mission, which was what Pastor John talked about last week, encountering false teachers, the trip to Jerusalem, and then that dividing moment where Paul and Barnabas separated over a personnel issue. Well, we have a lot of churches do that. And then we're up to date where we're going to be going in on with the book of Acts. So now call to action. <laughs> First off, how much do you really trust God? That's it. This is you individually scale one to ten. Where do you really honestly stand in your faith right now? How much do you really truly trust God? Think about that. But then there's another question. Can you trust the Lord in hard times? Amanda gave that wonderful testimony about those times where God was silent, where she just had to keep trusting. And maybe you're in one of those times too. Maybe you're going through difficult and hard times. And God's saying, just keep trusting, just keep trusting. I'll tell you what, one of the hardest times is when God's silent, where he's not giving you the answer. <laughs> Amanda's giving a good uh, head nod there. Carolyn is too. We, we've been through, okay, we got some more head nods back there. They, <laughs> yeah, for me personally, those were the toughest times. I read Max Lucado. We were going through one of those tough times where God was silent. And it, I read Max Lucado's Through the Eye of the Storm. He talks about Jesus walking up to the hill and letting his disciples go out into the Sea of Galilee and get caught in the storm. I finished that book. I closed it up, and I said, oh, shut up, Max. You have no idea what you're talking about. I was, I was, I was sure he didn't know what it was like. <laughs> I literally did do that, and I said those words out loud. Those are tough times. 
when God's silent, those are hard times. Like, can you stand strong in your faith? Amanda was able to share how she turned to that song over and over. Yes, I'm going to trust you, God. Carolyn and I had to go through that time where, yes, we trust you, God. We're just going to keep waiting for the answer. Can you trust him in those hard times? But here's something else. Can you turn away and leave the most important things in your life in God's hands? <laughs> Can you turn away and say, God, I will follow you, even if that means I have to turn my back on the rest of my family, if I have to leave home, if I have to leave a church that I love, which is what happened to Paul in this passage. I may have many, many missionaries, they give that, that whole message of they had to leave behind churches they loved. Now for Carolyn and me, that was a different story. We left behind a church I didn't even want to go to, and I was the pastor. But, you know, uh, yeah, she's shushing me. I don't know if any of them would catch our live streaming or not. But I mean, it's a true story. Uh, it was a tough, tough time. But there's times where you have to leave. Our families got together and celebrated my dad's 90th birthday yesterday. We weren't there. We see the pictures afterwards. Others have to leave their mother, their father behind. And most of you, with an international congregation, you know what that's like. To go and to do what God has asked you to do, you've had to leave something behind. And many of you, I can't share everybody's testimony, but uh, sometimes I'm amazed because God's asked you to leave behind very, very important things, things that were important to you. But then, what is it in your life now that if he said, leave this behind, could you really do it? We all have those things that's difficult. Can you turn away and leave the most important things in your life in God's hand? And here's a tough one for preachers. Can you trust the Lord to work through others? Um, preachers get the uh, savior complex. <laughs> Everything depends on me. I've got to do it or no one else will. Or um, Sometimes that's the hardest one for us to deal with, trusting God to really work through others because we care about the churches too. It's part of giving the church to God and saying, God, they're your children. You work through them. And it's difficult at times.